Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to an emergency trade deadline. Episode 13 of the Believe Knicks podcast. Matthew Miranda joined, as always, by Stacey Patton on a day when, as is often the case on trade deadline day, there was a lot of talk, a lot of rumors. On this occasion, there were actually a lot of moves made, uh, none of which really involved the New York Knicks. And so it's called Believe Knicks. Let's start with them. Um, Stacey, what was your emotional state like during the day? Uh, I wanted something to happen. I was antsy. Um, here's the thing, right? I think for most of the day, I was. I wanted to say, you know, things happen until uh, until three p.m. Um, and then once three p.m. happened, the things that kind of hit me is I've I've actually tried not to criticize Tibbs for a lot of things, like his rotations of late. Um, he's continued to start Kemba Walker. A lot of people are criticizing that. I have tried to temper that um, because I do understand I was willing to give the benefit of the doubt that uh, the front office, you know, maybe is trying to up the the trade value of Kemba. Um, He didn't play McBride at all. I thought that, you know, those kind of things I was holding off criticism. And after the trade deadline, it's like, all right, well, we didn't do anything to palpably improve the team. We're still staring an extremely tough schedule in the face. Um, We haven't cleared cap space. Um, so at this point, um, you know, unless you really think you're going to turn the season around um, and if, if they could turn the season around and still mess the plan, the schedule is that tough. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to, now is the, now, now Tibbs doesn't get a free pass for those things, right? It's no longer an excuse to say we're trying to up their trade value and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only other, I would say it wasn't disappointment, but last night when there was the rumor of the Knicks trading uh, Reddish and... Um, Burks and Noel, uh, and then getting Dragic and picks back. I actually kind of I was rooting for that trade to happen. Uh, if it was just a second, and then we ended up wasting the first we gave up for Cam, that would have been disappointing, and I would have been a little bit upset with the front office for what that indicate. You know, that kind of just haphazard decision making process. Mm-hmm. But if they were able to recoup equal value, and then they basically just that would have just meant they used Knox to free up cap space, right? Um, that would have indicated some enthusiasm about, well, okay, maybe they really are do think they have a good shot at Brunson, right? And they're so confident that they're not even going to risk trying to have to get off the contracts in the summer. They're going to go for it. Um, but that didn't happen. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that it's probably a little bit different for me from other, like, I, I basically have given up on this season. Um, I, I didn't think there was a way to improve I mean, it's not even that there weren't ways to improve the Knicks, and it's not even that the Knicks have been playing better of late, actually. They've lost more games than when they had a better record, but I've been more enthusiastic. But I think the way everything, the chips have fallen, um, I don't see them, they're a way to be there for, for them to make noise this year. 
Um, so what I was, you know, everything my that I was looking at was future oriented. So when everyone's like, how did we not get a point guard and all of that? Those were the things that were less of an issue for me because I, I don't see realistically a way for them. They could have gotten Dennis Schroeder. I don't think that was going to turn that. They got a point guard that wasn't going to turn them into some kind of playoff team. Um, so I know I just said a lot, but um, the key takeaways are I was a little bit disappointed and I'm a little concerned that the contracts are going to get in the way of them getting better that they have given out. And now uh, I am now in the mindset that the criticism I've tried to hold back of, of Tibbs playing certain players, um, I will no longer her, her hold back because um, it's no longer an excuse. I had similar feelings um, just because trade deadline day to me can sometimes be very, as a Nick fan, um, I don't know. They don't usually make huge, splashy trade deadline deals, and um, I didn't. I really didn't think they had the resources to work with anything. I didn't think. I couldn't imagine what team out there was going to pick up like Fournier's deal because they needed shooting that badly, unless they were going to give you something with like a major red flag because that's a lot of money to take on for a guy who basically has has been better of late, but has been a disappointment. Is over thirty. Um, is defensively, I think, like a step slow a lot of the time. Um, I didn't think like much would happen, but there was still just that outside hope, and you started seeing like more names and more rumors. For some reason, what what really hit me during the day was when I started thinking that they weren't making any moves. You know, part of my brain was like, oh wait, they did make the reddish trade like already, like they made a move this season. And if the Knicks at the trade deadline had traded you know, what they did for Cam Reddish, I would have been like, okay, like, that's a nice little move. That's, like, fine. But for some reason, I just, I was very down on, on like, I've been very down on the Knicks the last couple of days. Like, I just felt very pessimistic about all these things. And it started, it finally hit me. Like, I've generally been in the camp of, like, Cam Reddish is not, you know, Cade Cunningham. Like, he's not some elite prospect that like has, he has to be out there 30 minutes a game no matter what because he's a corner. It's not even Grimes, right? <laughs> he's not. Yeah, at this point he is. And that's exactly where it started for me. So I thought to myself like, okay, they made the Reddish deal um, and that was a fine trade. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, you know, maybe if they had made a move that would have let Reddish, like would that have been what I, what I have cared? Like do I really care at all if Reddish plays? And I thought about their rotation depth and first it struck me that, like, and they've had this this line all year, and I get it, and I don't get it. The line all year, particularly now with Reddish, is that, like, the Knicks basically have more guys than Thibodeau will play. Like, the roster is deep enough that there's, like, 10 or 11 guys who could play, but he's not going to play that many. <clears throat> and I see that, but I also feel like... I mean, there's, there's 15 when we're healthy at this point, I would say. But, sorry, go ahead. That may be, yeah, that's true, I think. But if you're 24 and 31... And you have a coach, and the season is pissing away, and you have a coach who is continually, all season, like, he has his people, and then he has people that are clearly not his people. Like, the only reason Kemba Walker came back was, like, absolute Christmas desperation. There was nowhere else to go. He had to play him. Um, And I thought about Reddish and how he's not playing, and I thought, like, well, okay, let's see who's ahead of him. Like, if you want to play for Tibbs, you have to play defense. Grimes is obviously a good defender. Like, so it makes sense that he's going to play. But then it hit me that, like, 
if the stories are true, and we don't know if this is true or not, but there have been some reports saying that like maybe Thibodeau didn't really want Reddish. That wasn't like his guy. Um, whether that's true or not, it, it's starting to bother me because if Thibodeau did not want Reddish, um, why is the front office spending any capital on a player that their coach doesn't want to play? Um, like, you, you, if you could have traded Knox for Reddish straight up, okay, fine. You're just moving one, you know, low end rotation piece for another. But you gave them also like a a protected pick that very well may convey this year. And I feel like for a team like the Knicks that has drafted relatively well, uh, especially under this regime, like having the 20th pick in the draft could be a very good thing for them, either to move in a deal or to move up in the draft or just to have. So now I'm thinking like Miles McBride basically had like the game of his, his life in the NBA and really never got like run after that, like not consistent. And again, he was playing because they were shorthanded. There was desperation. But Obi was playing well. Like, there's always a reason. Obi was playing well early in the season, but you can't play him with Randall because no rim protector, and you can't take away Randall's minutes. So Obi's out of luck. How many guys are out of luck? Like, I, I don't. And, and the thing is, how many times have we seen, right? Every time this discussion comes up, people are like, People were like, Grimes is the 25th guy in the draft. You really think he's going to help us win more? And then finally, Tibbs was forced to play him. He comes in, and he's been lights out, right? He's been the Knicks' best perimeter defender by far. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a case that Fournier might still be a slightly better shooter than Grimes, but he's on that level, right? He's a better shooter than Quickly. He's a better shooter than Burks. He's the most versatile. and then, so then we saw McBride. We, people were like, McBride's isn't the solution at point guard. You can't play rookies. He's a second round pick. He had a really good game. Um, even he didn't. He hasn't shot the ball well in aggregate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he he hasn't looked overmatched on defense like at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly not compared to Kemba. I don't think. I think McBride is still not. I think McGrimes is a better defender. Um, but McBride, it's less of an athletic thing. It's more he still makes some mistakes. But you can see he's still a, you know a good a good defender. Mm-hmm. So that that didn't seem to be proven true. And then until we literally only had one healthy center and he was 37 years old, we never got to see Jericho Sims. And then he got thrown in against the MVP. And to be honest, so he, the, the mistakes I can remember Sims making um, where he got, there were two free throws where he gave up the rebound on. Um, so he still misses out his, misses his assignments boxing out. Um and there was, um, and th- but then I thought his defense on Jokic was actually terrific. Jokic had to hit, hit Jokic hit difficult shots, but he had to hit difficult shots, right? Yeah. Sims wasn't falling for his fakes. He was bodying him up. He didn't. He wasn't getting bullied by Nikola Jokic. That's a pretty big deal for Ricky. Yeah. Um, and lastly, I thought I mean his he was presence on the offensive glass. I thought his weak side help and knowing when to block and like he had a problem early in the year where he didn't know how to block, didn't know when to contest and when to, um, you know, young players, some will just go for every block and give up rebounds. Some will not contest enough. He, he wasn't good at that decision-making calculus early in the year. Mm-hmm. He did a good job with that. Uh, and then, yeah, again, so the question becomes like when you tell me that a young player is not ready to contribute and then you finally get forced and then they all do really well. Um, it's not even a question of 
because the, the easiest question would be, look, Burks and Fournier are good players, um, but they're not ultimately the results, the aggregate of all of these players who may be better. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt, right? These guys are better than their backups. It's not doing enough to get us to a, a good, it may be we're playing, but it's not doing much to do that, right? So at that point, if they're only marginally better, what is the benefit from not playing the younger players? But this might even be beyond that. It might be the fact that the biases go so deep that the younger players are at least as good or better, right? Um, like, I think it's a tough case to make that Grimes is worse than Fournier right now. Overall, I think it's a tough case to make that Grimes is worse than Burks. That doesn't mean those guys are even negatives. Um, I think it's a tough case to make that Sims is worse than the version of no- Nerlens Noel we've seen this year, who's been hurt. And if Noel been, has been hurt and that's why he's been bad, it's doubly irresponsible for Tibbs to play them. So with Reddish, I'm a little bit less... I've seen Reddish play in Atlanta. Uh, this is a guy with a ton of talent who is still figuring out how to contribute to winning basketball. Mm-hmm. So I get why Tibbs wasn't immediately putting him in the rotation. Um, but again, I do wonder if his talent... Evalu- I, I question his talent eva- evaluation at this point because the development is good. So I don't want, I'm not saying that he's ruining these, pe- these kids' development, but I do question whether he's playing the best players... Uh, and putting them in the best position to succeed. Uh, and then the other thing to say is with RJ out, as in, and we haven't talked about that. Um, that was one of the most you inexcusable will. things. <laughs> but with RJ out, Cam has actually played quite well tonight against Golden State. Um, four for five from the field for nine points. And here's the um, thing. I was thinking, my thought literally earlier today was like, I know Barrett's out for tonight. He, I think he's going to be out, it sounded like, also for at least the Portland game because he's like in a boot. So you knew Reddish was going to play. If Reddish plays well, is he still going to be in the rotation when Barrett comes back? Or is Tibbs going to stick him to the bench because whatever? Yeah, I mean, if if Tibbs, there is a chance, forget Reddish, right? There's a chance that Grimes goes to the bench, right? If Tibbs goes right with when everyone gets healthy, mm-hmm. if Tibbs goes back to the original starting lineup, Grimes is out of the rotation. I mean, how ridiculous does that sound? Um, so, uh, you know, um, anyway, with Reddish though, I think a lot of the people, a lot of people have said, why would you trade a first if you're not going to play him? Mm-hmm. I think they have time. Um, I think ideally they would have liked to see what he could give them and settle on a, an extension. Mm-hmm. If they can't do that, they still will have his matching rights next year. They still can, he's still going to have value around the league, um, to use maybe either to, um, you know, to create cap space if they know a star is coming. And that's different from the KP thing where you're hoping that a star comes. If at that point, if they know that Bradley Beal is going to sign, I'm fine with them using Reddish to dump salary. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have next season to, you know, if he starts, if they start playing him or they clear space for him to play next year and he develops, they can, you know, keep him then. They still can match him. So they don't risk really losing him for nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's less of a concern for me. But in general, I just seriously question Tibbs' talent evaluation right now. Speaking of questioning things about Thibodeau, we're going to do a lot more um, trade deadline stuff from around the league, but one more Nick point worth getting into from a game that otherwise maybe didn't have much like, worth getting into. Um, I think 18 seconds left in the last game. Um, once again, the Knicks are being blown out. Once again, Thibodeau has mostly his starters in there in the final minute of a game where they've been getting killed basically all night. Um, 
18 seconds left. R.J. Barrett injures his ankle. Going to miss a couple of games. Um, and with ankles, you know, you never know. That can be tough for a while. Um, we've talked about it. People have raised the issue before. I am always paranoid when a play. Like, I would be the coach who loses, like, the biggest lead in history with four minutes left because I always feel like <clears throat> they leave the starters in too long. Like, Thibodeau does it all the time. Thibodeau has talked about, he said after this game, it was because the Knicks had gotten the deficit down to 13. And I think he brought Barrett back in with like four minutes left. Um, thought he could make something of it. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't even know what to say about this. Uh, I, I was disgusted. Uh, first of all, it certainly appeared that Mike Malone, like the other team had thrown in the towel, or the other team had, I think Mike Malone and Tibbs are friends. So Mike Malone had put in his subs. Uh, it was a 16-minute game, and there was less than a minute left. Beyond, it's not even just pulling your pulling your subs too early in one game. The the night before, it was the third game in four nights. The night before, RJ had played 43 minutes. The two nights before that in LA, he played 49 minutes in an overtime game. Um. And then this that night he played thirty five. So that it it was a, it was a, it wasn't just a one time thing. It was accumulation of things, and the whole team appeared gassed. They were playing a better team. They w- didn't really have the, the ability to compete. Um, RJ himself wasn't himself. You had other options, um, you know. And Tibbs was like, "Well, we thought we had a chance." Um, and somebody, somebody today on Twitter was like, "Well, what about?" Tracy McGrady scoring 13 points in 35 seconds. And, you know, I, I get that a fan can say that on Twitter, but if that's really the coach's decision-making uh, calculus mm-hmm. and that we, we thought that was going to accomplish something, um, that's, that's a pretty serious concern. Um, and, um, and RJ's in a boot right now. Like, that was a big loss. And... And again, I would understand it more if it was like RJ played 35 minutes, he played 35 minutes the night before, whatever. He's not a he's not a Kemba Walker or Derek Rose, right? Mm-hmm. But um but he, I mean he ran him into the ground. That's that's what happened over that stretch and you know, RJ's probably going to miss a couple of weeks. Uh, right when he was starting to get into a pretty good rhythm. So, um that I mean that was I've been I wouldn't say I've been a Tibbs apologist, but I've tried not to hop on some of the low-hanging fruit criticism of him. Uh, that was a bit of a breaking point for me. Um, I'm not going to lie. Um, and when taken, like, I understand, you know, if he doesn't have the most creative schemes, I understand he can be a certain way, certain type of way with his rotations. I understand he can be stubborn. But if he's creating a culture and all of that, um, and I do think he's good at player development at the end of the day, that trade-off is worth it. But um, but this is just a completely uh, avoidable and stupid thing that he did um, that has longer term effects, right? I'm not, this is not me myopically criticizing his, his lineups with, for one game that may have cost us. Um, this is, um, this is worrisome. So. Yeah, I think that's a, a good, fair word for it. Um, worrisome. And um, um, something, something kind of broken me when that happened in that game. And maybe some of that is just because I think Barrett is, is symbolically. Well, that's something we'll talk about that later. Just, you know, Barrett is so symbolically important. His development is so important. 
to what this team might be trying to do in the future. It, it shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter really what player it is. Um, but the, you know, it's remarkable to me how much goodwill has been eradicated this season. Um, not just in terms of like the team's record or their positioning, but Tom Thibodeau, you know, year two, I'm not sure about, I'm not, I'm not at all saying like, Hey, we should fire. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that like my thinking when Thibodeau was brought in was like, okay, this is a guy who can get you from, you know, stumbling around as a losing team to, you know, a tight defensive sound um, organization that probably another coach will then be ready to take over. And like, but I saw, I saw Thibodeau as like that kind of a bridge and Thibodeau is doing things this season that to be fair, if, and he's earned the capital that he has, but if, if I can't even believe I'm saying this really, but like, if David Fisdale was doing the kind of shit that Thibodeau's doing sometimes, we'd be like, well, you know, Fisdale's, Fisdale's Fisdale. Like, Fisdale's, but Tom Thibodeau's doing it. I mean, this isn't, this isn't just, you know, do you have a philosophical difference about never throw in the towel? Like, never, ever, ever throw in the towel. This is just literally, you have more access to important information than anybody else does. RJ's minutes lately have been insanity. Like insanity. And if there's one player that you don't if there's one player that you want to be careful with, I would say it would be him. I mean, there's no question Barrett is the most important player on the roster as far as the future goes, correct? No. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So I'm in agreement with you. But um yeah, and I mean you can kind of say, well, Grimes was out, right? So they were lacking depth. And then you would say, and McBride isn't ready to take on minutes, right? Well, that goes back to, you had that credibility, and then now every time a player comes in. So now we're left to question, right? Um, you know, it, if did Nerland's Noel make things worse when he was hurt? And in the same way that you, it's not the same thing as playing RJ 43 minutes, right? But if you've been playing players when they probably should have rested, and now you're telling me that the backup that you were completely unwilling to play actually can play pretty well. Why shouldn't I believe that that would have been the case with McBride, right? If, if you, if Grimes was out and you were running low on backups, why shouldn't I believe that was the case? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, yeah, again, like th- there's no reason like, well, he watches them in practice every day. Yeah. He watched Grimes in practice every day for a long time and didn't play him until. So we're right back where we started um, on that front. And, um, and again, like, I think that there's probably, I think the guy knows a lot about basketball I think that when you talk about his schemes on offense being simplified, him not being comfortable playing with fast pace and, you know, kind of free-flowing offense, but very structured sets and all of that, I I understand that that's the kind of, like you said, that's a philosophical difference, right? Um, playing starters maybe 38 instead of 33 minutes in close games, that's understandable. But in terms of who those starters are and whether a rookie just has to have a, a – significantly higher standard than a, than a vet. That's where you start to lose me. Um, You know, where, um, where, you know, it's somebody's injured to the point where they're actually hurting the team. That's where you lose me. And to your, to your point, RJ, 
it wasn't just that RJ got hurt. RJ also had a bad game because he was gassed. Like he didn't, like that happens to everyone. Um, and uh, you know, um, it's, and it's, this is, I mean, that has happened to other players in other places right now. Most players swear by him, you know, after that game, Randall said we're behind Tibbs a hundred percent. Um, but as to your larger point, you have to remember there was that Yaron Weissman piece um, where Tibbs, when he got here, he wanted to trade the young guys. Uh, he wanted to trade Randall. I believe he wanted to trade RJ too uh, and bring in like basically what the Hawks did, right? Bring in like Bogdanovich. So he is, he is that myopic person. He's like, I just want to win this game today. Um, and it is interesting because he's actually been pretty good at developing young players over his career. But that's just always who's been. And I think the front office was fine with that. It's like, but, you know, if we give him the young players and he's forced to coach them, he'll do well. And last year, it worked. And we still grumbled about, you know, Alfred Payton over quickly, a couple of things like that. But for the most part, it seemed to have worked, right? This, But the thing is this, right? Once that genie's out of the bottle, then it was like from here on out, he's not going to understand that we overshieved last year. Randall might regress. He's going to say, we got to go for it, right? And keep giving me vets. And so the opportunity to play the young guys, to see what you have in the young guys, um, to maybe accumulate assets, that's not there. And if that is what the front office might have ideally wanted to do this year, he's now it's now getting to the point where he's in the way, right? Um, and part of that is, if, you know, if you had a roster where you had, and, and so th- there's a couple of things, right? Randall got bet, got really good last year. But the other thing was the young guys got better, I think, than the front office expected to. I don't think they expected quickly to play a, a big role last year. Um, they probably expected Obi to. OB to. Um, and then this year they have all of these young guys. And they have gotten to the point where, like, the, the, where the vets are not that much better than them, right? And ideally when that happens um, – you're able to move off these guys and you're able to shift to rebuilding mode. Um, and Tibbs isn't about that. Um, so it's, it's a weird, and I, and I don't, and then the other question is they've also built a roster that thrives in space and pace, right? If you look at how Randall is having another good game tonight, by the way. Um, and that's been very encouraging, but if you look at how Randall has thrived, it's when he, Benji Brinholtz did a great thread for, um, for Nick's film school. And he just, it was 16 plays of Randall's over the last few games. Not one of them was attacking from a standstill. They were all catch and go. They were all in motion. And it wasn't also just hitting shots. It was also like he was doing things like making reads. He was doing like selling fakes, right? He was relocating. He was doing, he was playing, he was mentally playing at a really high level too. And he seems to be good at that. But, you know, in an isolation set or very fixed things where there aren't a lot of reads, uh, and everyone is low energy, and he has to kind of do everything from a standstill. That's where he struggled. And this roster is built for all. Obi is built like that, right? Where he's he's a guy who's very effective in motion. Quickly is not as great, for example, creating just against his guy and trying to be James Harden, right? But what he's really good at is getting out in the transition, moving without the ball, taking the ball in motion, making simple reads. RJ is like that. All these players, like they have a lot of athletic guys who are great in a motion-based offense and playing fast. And if Tips doesn't want to do that, then it becomes like, is he the best coach for this particular roster? Then you say no, but um, you know we're trying to build a culture of defense, and eventually these young guys are going to get traded for a star anyway. Is he the best star? Is he the best coach for stars? Because 
his playoff tracker record hasn't been great either because you know that's in, in the playoffs you can't just rely on I'm playing my starters more than the other team so I'm going to win because of that it, it requires uh, things that he hasn't shown consistently so um I think that there is there appears to be um there appears to be a clock on Tibbs um and this week it's felt like um it just felt like less of an abstraction and more of a reality that um, within a year or so, um, you know, they will uh, move move on. Um, hopefully, you know, ideally it's something where they, they get to the playoffs next year and maybe they're like, you know, they underperform. But, you know, it's not like a, a situation with Fizdale, like he would have hopefully taken us forward. But um, it doesn't seem like, it seems like there's a lot of things he would have to change to be the guy who you know, be our, our Steve Kerr or whatever. Right now he feels like our Mark Jackson. And I don't mean that in Mark Jackson's a weird dude. I think Tibbs is a better coach. <laughs> but in the sense that Mark Jackson kind of got them to a certain level or was the coach yeah. when they got to a certain yeah. level. And then to get to the to get to achieve true greatness, they had to move on. So Yeah, he turned that defense. Their, their defense for years, the, I think the prior... I think the prior six years, their defensive rating kept alternating between 26-23, 26-23... And then Jackson's second year, I think, they were, like, up to fourth. It was very similar to Thibodeau. Um, I thought that, too. I thought Thibodeau could be that kind of a guy. Like, you know, get part of the game straightened out. And then when your team is ready to go farther, you know, maybe you go somewhere else. But uh, we will see what happens with Thibodeau. There were other moves made around the NBA today. Um, The biggest move, obviously, was the 76ers acquiring Paul Millsap. So let's talk about that trade. Um, no, the long rumored, long, 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 our long national nightmare regarding Ben Simmons' life is over. The 76ers shipped Simmons along with Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and a couple of firsts to Brooklyn. And the big three, we hardly knew ye, sent James Harden um, and Paul Millsap to the 76ers. Um, what did you make of this deal? What, what do you make of this deal? I have concerns for both teams. Um, I know obviously what they're thinking. I think Brooklyn was starting to realize, like, I think we're going to lose this guy, and we really, you can't lose him for nothing after everything that you gave up to get him. Um, particularly if you're going to lose him to a division and conference rival. The Sixers, obviously, having a very good year, wanted to get something for Simmons to give them a better shot. Seems like they did that. What do you make of this? Yeah, um, there's like so many interesting angles to this whole saga. Um, first of all, I th- think um, I think there is one person who has responsibility. Well, Harden has responsibility. Uh, this is two straight places where he's had a foul attitude. He hasn't shown the kind of leadership that you'd expect from a player of his caliber. It's inexcusable at this point. Um, you know, showing up out of shape at Houston. Um, you know, he clashed with, he clashed with Paul, he clashed with Westbrook, he clashed with Dwight Howard. Um, I think he got along fine with KD, but he clashed with Kyrie. He deserves a ton of criticism for his attitude. And, um, that is the, what, I mean, I, I, I'm curious to your thoughts too, but that is the one thing that really worries in the Philly because on paper, they lost a guy who wanted out and wasn't going to play for them again for an all NBA player that matches perfectly with their existing MVP candidate. But, you know, Harden is at this point, you have to call a locker room. I, I mean, locker room cancer might be a strong word, but maybe it's not. This is two straight places. Like a locker and, room melanoma. Yes. Yeah. And um, 
And I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe his, the way he was treated in Oklahoma City when they didn't pay him and traded him, maybe that's left a certain complex. I don't know. But um, his, his behavior and attitude, I don't think he was this player his entire career. It seems to be a more recent development, but that he deserves responsibility. But it's Kyrie too, right? Kyrie is another player who has been, uh, he had a great situation in Cleveland, and then he started saying and doing weird things to get himself shipped off. Um, you know, LeBron is, has had his own issues, but that whole situation seemed to be Kyrie being a weird dude. He got to Boston, burned bridges there. Um, and now in Brooklyn, he won't play. Yeah, he burns. Yeah, that that was just a funny story. The burning sage, but he didn't play, and he he was healthy, and he didn't play. Um, and I I don't want to litigate anti vaxxing things or whatever. Um, but if that's what was, but that's the thing, right? What I don't know why the front office wouldn't prefer to if it was Kyrie or Harden. I don't know why they wouldn't just trade Kyrie. So I would imagine there's and like I've heard stories that Harden actually didn't even blame Kyrie. He blamed the front office for whatever reason, which to me was, I think they've, considering the circumstances, they've done a pretty decent job of trying to build around them. Joe Harris got hurt and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and wasn't it, great anyway when he was healthy. He struggled. Yeah. and and But I mean, that was a deal they had to do. I certainly wanted Joe Harris from the Knicks. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's, by the way, Joe Harris with defense is like my, like as an elite defender, is my comp for Grimes. Um, but, um, but, um, so I think, I think on paper, the Sixers won, um, they didn't want to give up Tyrese Max. I had a friend who's a Nets fan and he texted me like, today's the day we get Tyrese Max. And I was like, <laughs> uh, I, you don't have leverage for that. Right. I think you tweeted about, you tweeted that the, the yeah. team doesn't really have leverage. Um, and sure enough, they held on to Maxi. They also held on to Matisse Tybel, which I thought the Sixers yep. should just bite the bullet and trade him. Uh, I think there's an argument they should have tried to keep Seth Curry, but um, they have their two young guys. They gave up two first round picks, which I think should be fine. Um, you know, they're going to be a competitive team for a while. Uh, and the most important thing is a lot of people are like, well, do the Sixers need to rush? They have good young pieces. You have a 27 year old generational player who's had foot problems in the past. Um, if you have a chance to win a title and pair him with a top five player, you do it, or top ten, whatever you want to call Harden right now, right? And this isn't this isn't some fit, empty stats guy. This is a, I mean, next up, Embiid, if he's healthy, he should be fine. Uh, and then, so I, I think that they won that paper. On the same time, Simmons may actually be a better basketball fit next to Kyrie and Durant because he gives them, you know, switchability on defense. Um, they now have two extra first round picks, so they were rumored to go. They were going to go more shopping. I thought they might try to get Jeremy Grant or something. That didn't happen. But you know they have the opportunity to retool. Um, they'll they'll bring back everyone next year. Simmons is still young, um, so you know I think that this is a good deal for them. Um, where the Harden situation could have really tanked things. Now they probably have still have the opportunity to compete. And then the last angle that interests me. <laughs> this is kind of a caricature, but you know the, the, you have like real Hooper Twitter and analytics Twitter, right? Yes. Uh, and it almost feels like those are the two sides of the trade, right? Who's left? Harden is a player. On the one hand, he kind of does have like the real Hooper stuff because of his footwork and his moves and all that. Yeah. But like he is the analytics, like the archetype of like the caricature analytics, right? Threes and free throws and all of that, right? And a lot of people have disliked him. The guy he was getting traded to was his GM in Houston who really unleashed that version of him. That's Daryl Morey. He's a guy that took a ton of criticism because people really blamed him for the Simmons fiasco. And they were like, why didn't you just trade him? I think people really wanted to see him lose. 
Um, we can debate whether that's justified or not, but he clearly came out on top from from waiting, right? That was it was better to get James Harden back than like you know a bag of chips. Yeah. Um, and then who's left in Brooklyn are arguably the two biggest real Hooper guys ever. Um, not ever. Um, I the, 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 no one will top Allen Iverson. Um, right. and it's funny because like I kind of I feel like I have my foot in both camps. I grew up as an I was a child of the Iverson and Kobe era. So like I'm always gonna appreciate Kyrie Irving's moves. I'm always gonna look at KD as like one of the greatest one-on-one scorers I've ever seen. But it it's interesting how those camps have fallen out now, right? Um, and um, and, and then yeah, and, and Sixers they down to having a big man who can shoot threes. So I mean I think that yeah that would be a hell of a playoff series. <laughs> Simmons coming back to Philly for a playoff game. Um, you know, I don't, uh, you know, Philly fans are known to be pretty friendly people, so maybe they won't boo him, but (laughs) it has to happen. I feel like it it has to happen. Yeah. So early in the day, the rumor that you mentioned had been that Brooklyn wanted, you know, everything. They wanted Simmons. They wanted Maxi. They wanted Thibault. They wanted, um, Curry. Yeah, um, and at that point, it reminded me a lot of. I was hoping I like the Sixers. I root for them, like certainly over the Nets, and I was hoping that they weren't going to make what felt to me like the Carmelo trade, where you gave up so much to get the big name and the big resume and the deal that it's it's actually a lateral move, because the Sixers adding Harden but losing all of that, like I I don't see that like really working out for them. So I thought when the final deal came through, and, and I, I was surprised when I saw that because as, as I tweeted, like, I thought the Nets had no leverage. Like, the Sixers wanted to move on from Simmons, clearly. Yeah. The Nets had to move on because for the Sixers, if the Sixers don't make this trade, they get to next summer and they can engage whoever they want to about Simmons and get a very good deal. Now he has a year less on his contract. He's probably more desperate to get sent somewhere. Like they would have been in a, in a, in a position to make a move. And there are going to be other parties who are more motivated to make a move. Yeah. Um, Washington and Portland are places that don't seem to be want. They don't seem to be ready to make a Dame for Simmons type trade. Mm-hmm. Um, that situation is fluid, though, right? So this is the only time when Brooklyn is guaranteed to have the best offer. So. Yeah. I mean, there's so there's that aspect of it, um, and I all but then I also felt for the for the Sixers I felt like this is where it concerns it for me. I think they won the trade in terms of I think they're a better team after the deal was made than the Nets are. Um, I thought the Nets actually I don't think Drummond is a huge deal except if they meet the Sixers or I think the Cavs or even the Bulls with Vukovic. Like they have another big body and and they have a ton of centers, but they don't have a they don't have a big like like Drummond or at least he's a body that you know you can put out there against um, top big men. Um, and if you get to the finals, like you want, you'd rather have Drummond to play some minutes against DeAndre Ayton than you know just Claxton and Aldridge. But I don't know if I'm a Seventy Sixers fan like James. James Harden opted into his deal next year, which is for $47 million, and then sets him up for some insane Supermax that I think in 2027 or 28 will pay, will pay him like over $60 million a year. I don't think he's – let me rephrase it. There is certainly a possibility that James Harden's not going to age well. 
Um, he doesn't seem to be a player who is devoted. Now, things always can change, and I don't know James Harden's personality or whatever, but that's a lot of money to tie into a guard heading into his mid to late 30s who already has injury issues, who is not famous for being like, you know, in, I don't know, who has a crazy NBA body. Um, Are you going to fat shame him, Matt? That's not very nice. <laughs> I'm not going to fat shame anybody, but I'm just saying that. Um, yeah. Who is, yeah, LeBron, how, I know, guess. Like, how, how many teams in the league, if, if this is always the way that I, that I try to figure this out. So, blow up the whole league. All 30 teams are starting completely over, and there's a draft. You're going to get the players that are available with their current contracts. I don't think James Harden is going super high in that kind of a draft because to understand I have to pay him almost 50 million next year when he turns, I think 33 and then pay a super max on top of that. You literally understand you are paying him the, probably the biggest contract in the league for what he did five or six years ago. So the Sixers, the concern for me is that they're going to lock themselves in I mean, we'll see what happens, obviously, with the option. They have room to get out if they want to. I'm glad that they have that. I think it's good for them that Harden picked up the option. If I were the Sixers, maybe he got assurances. I would not want to give that guy the contract he's looking for right now, certainly. Um, as far as the Nets, like, I really want to take a moment as a Nick fan to particularly enjoy <coughs> Brooklyn's um, kind of debutante ball to the arena of New York City teams that have raised lots of hopes and then messed up and and kind of have to deal with somebody on their face now. Because everything the Nets have done from the day that, even before Durant and Kyrie, the year with D'Angelo Russell, like they have been able to do no wrong, I think because they don't really have a, a hardcore fan base to be you know down on them for anything. Um, at least in the city. But I feel like um, they had to do something because they could not risk, like I said earlier, they couldn't lose Harden for nothing. Like They couldn't do that. There was no equivalent, you know, unless they're going to get Zach Levine somehow, and even he's not hard. Like, they, they, they had to get him, but this has to be an indictment on some level. Indictment is the wrong word. Can you imagine what Frank Isola would be writing today if a couple of years ago the Knicks had followed exactly the same arc? Like, signed Kyrie, he's out for a good amount the first year of the deal and is now not even here half the season by choice this year. You paid Durant basically three or – you paid him the first year not to play at all. He's awesome, but, like, that was a decision. You spent a max deal on a guy that you knew wasn't going to play – you traded the farm for a guy that you then traded a little over a year later for, I think, less. Um, I enjoy watching the Nets, even though I still think they're good. And I like Simmons. And I think, like you were saying, I think Simmons being a ball handler who doesn't shoot can actually work better on a team like that. Because they don't need, you know, Kyrie's not standing around expecting Harden to take a three. Like, he, he's going to expect Simmons is going to handle the ball, but he's still going to look to set up others. 
But I really just – the Nets lost tonight. That's 10 in a row. Um, I'm irrationally enjoying this Brooklyn slide so, so much. Just as a Knicks fan, I can admit it. It's it's pure, undistilled. And I didn't used to hate the Nets. I liked the New Jersey Nets. Kenny Anderson, still my guy. Um, shout out to Mr. Chibs. I don't get it. I love I love watching them sink a little bit, but something something seems wrong with that culture. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, with um, so like my I have a few friends in real life that are Brooklyn Nets fans, and I actually really enjoy talking hoops with them. I play basketball with them, nice. uh, and they don't like. I mean, yeah, like we'll talk shit here and there, but like. Unlike Twitter, where it's like your identity is basically if you're a Nets fan, you have to hate the Knicks. Yes. Um, in real life, it's like, okay, well, we're not just going to be here to make each other miserable. Like, we want to hang out and actually talk sports, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and like, I remember when they got, um, you know, they traded D'Lo, they traded, you know, Dinwiddie and all that. Uh, when they got, when they got... Like and a lot of, like the culture thing, like we clown them now, and I think a lot of the the resentment that we felt is because people like Stefan Bondi, yep. um, Nets Twitter, they were clowning us. You have the stupid Andrew Yang shit, right? Like the Nets are it it it, it they, they attach not just it's not just that the Nets are a better team. There's something morally superior, right, about rooting for yeah. the Nets. That's how it was thrown at us. And um and and we always get clowned and we were tired of it right and the the Nets were the team that kind of exemplified that that's why the Lakers fans hated the Clippers when they got uh, Chris Paul and all of that like we've gone through that um but at the same time like it's it's a little bit sad because that front office really did do a lot of good things right yeah. if you remember when Sean Marks took over they were still trying to crawl out of that abominable uh you know Darren um, no it's not Darren Williams so it was uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett right, trade right. Yeah. Um, and I remember cause like, I like clowned a trade that the Nets made and my friend was like, no, actually we just got a late first. I was like, oh, you're celebrating we're late first. And they're like, well, yeah, cause we just, we're taking on salary dumps. We're lost. Like every little move, this is what you have to do. And sure enough, little by little they And like, as a Nets fan, that must've been incredible to watch, right? You take on D'Lo as a recollection project and turn him into an all-star. Yeah. Um, they brought, you know, Brooke Lopez became their stalwart. Um, you know, they, they did all these things and then they did kind of sell out. And that's the thing. Like it's just this completely different experience as a fan when you're an up and coming young team versus when you have expectations, when you're dealing with this kind of drama. Uh, And like some people just like watching basketball and and that can be tough for them. Right. And I think I, what I hope for Brooklyn Nets fans sake is that they get back to, and, and maybe if they win the championship, maybe we're past the point where it becomes like clowning the Knicks. Because I think they realize that like getting a bunch of big names isn't everything it's cracked up to be. Like getting good basketball, winning basketball. And I think they have more of a chance to do that now. And the last thing I'll say is um, Harden is a really good passer. But he's not a great connective passer. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Like you've seen this on the Knicks, right? Like they have certain guys are better at passing in a pick and roll and hitting the opposite corner, right? Or like with the ball in their hands, manipulating the defense. And others are good connective passers. Obi's a really good connective passer. Mm-hmm. Um, quickly is better, I think, when he can drive and make reads. RJ's a better get downhill and draw the defense and make a read, right? Um, but Obi is a connective passer. Grimes is a connective passer. Tyrese Halliburton is like the epitome of great connective passers, and so is Lonzo Ball. Mm-hmm. Simmons can really do both. 
And the last time Kyrie Irving got to play with someone who did both, like Kyrie's peak, a lot of people are going to talk like he's always like he can give you 30 every night. And he is one of the most brilliant one-on-one scorers ever. But the most I've ever seen him contribute to winning was when him and LeBron came back from 3-1 down. And that series, uh, people are like, Kyrie bailed out LeBron. No, Kyrie got to focus on scoring. Yep. And he was, I mean, he that's not to say that Kyrie didn't have his share of isolation possessions. Not to say he didn't get, you know, he didn't spell he LeBron. He LeBron. the point of the defense. Yeah. But when they were on the floor together, he was mostly just killing them off ball. And he is an intelligent, he's not Russell Westbrook or, or someone like that who just stands in the corner. He He's very, like, Kyrie's a very high IQ player. Um, so that's gonna, that could be fun. Um, and then you and then you have Katie to close and, and you can stagger them. Um, I, I still don't think they have anyone to guard Joel Embiid or Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now they do. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Simmons is the best that they can do. Simmons can't guard Embiid, though. Um, and um, so, um, but I think that basketball can start to be fun again for Nets fans because I think I don't think it has been this year. And as much as it's been fun to, to as long as we're past, as long as they've dealt with enough shame and consternation that we don't have to deal with them anymore. I'm okay. Like not seeing them just completely burned ashes, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. it was nice to see them get some humble pie. Yes. Agreed. Um, it kills me that if the Knicks were just like 500, they'd be right in the arena to meet the nets in the play. Like, I think the nets will probably make the top six, but if right now the Knicks were like, you know, eighth and the nets were like ninth, like it would be incredible if those two this year met in the play-in tournament. That would be insanity. <laughs> uh, the Nets and the Knicks. Yeah, yeah, that would have. Uh, been, I mean, if somehow the Nets had just stumbled all along, and they were like the nine ten game, and like the loser goes home, like that would be oh, amazing. I mean, don't look now, but the Knicks are up 13, 11 points now on in the fourth against a full strength Golden State Warriors team. Um you know, now that I said this, they're gonna blow the lead, but everyone um, can think Stacey when they end up losing one sixty <laughs> Everyone's gonna well, I mean this this I, you know, the, but they have been playing better basketball lately. They have, they really have. Um that they I, like when they were when they had a winning record, I felt a lot worse about the quality of basketball than I felt of late. Like even the Denver game, it was a blowout. Mm-hmm. But on offense they looked a lot better. Um so who, I mean, they could, and like, they're only one back of the, I mean, if you look at the standings, mm-hmm. um, they're what one bet going game back of the plan. Um, whoops. Um, sorry. Yeah. They're okay. So they're, they're, they're three back in the loss column of Atlanta, um, with what, um, 30 games left or so, yeah. or it's no, um, it's uh, it's um, yeah, it's, it's they have fifty five games, so it's about twenty seven twenty. So it's within reach, and they have some competition that's fallen out. Um, Washington lost Beal, so even though they added um, our best friend Christoph Porzingis, they're probably not going to be a contender. Uh, and Atlanta has been shaky, um, so you know it's certainly within reach. Uh, and that would be, I mean, that would be really interesting. Um, my thought, and, and like, the thing is this, like, Brooklyn, on the one hand, you say, well, they'll avoid the play-in. I lost 10 in a row, and, I mean, if you look at the top six, like, this is the best the East has been in a while. In a long time. Miami's playing great. 
you know, Milwaukee's the champs. Chicago's dealt with injuries, but it's still holding up. And they're going to get back ball and Caruso before the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, Cleveland. Cleveland, maybe they turn into a pumpkin, but, like, I don't expect them to from a talent standpoint. I don't think Cleveland is like us last year. Like, you know. Yeah, I think they're better than the Knicks were. Yeah. <laughs> they, there's, but I'm talking about in terms of talent, right? This isn't a team that's playing over its head. Yeah. Like, Mobley is a generational talent. Garland is clicking. Yep. Uh, Kevin Love is pretty underrated for them. I liked them getting to um, Levert. I think is a nice addition. Yeah, and and you, you got to love what the front office is doing. They're going for it, and then you, I mean, Philly that just got James Harden is in fifth. I like uh, Charlotte. Charlotte's nice. Yeah, I liked the they got Montrezl Harrell, which he's a free agent at the end of this year. He's but I, I think he he's a fun type of player to play with. He's exactly what we want with Lamelo. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but uh, getting so. <laughs> Getting back to what you're talking about, though, yeah, I, I mean, you'd almost have to think Adam Silver made some calls if we end up playing Brooklyn in the in the plan. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah. Speaking of our old friend, I was driving home and heard on the radio the update about the trade deadline, and I was actually getting a little full of myself because every trade they were mentioning, I was like, yeah, I already knew that. I already knew that. And then when they said they said. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie is going to the Mavericks for my brain really was like thinking of the the Mavs bench or maybe like a swing, you know, maybe like a low end. And when I heard Kristaps Porzingis going to the Wizards basically for Dinwiddie and Davis pretends, um, I... Some part of me felt very vindicated, and I didn't figure it out till later. But I think it was that <coughs> I cannot. One of my big sports random pet peeves is how the Dallas Mavericks are are I feel constantly overrated in terms of being this intelligent, um, cutting edge, like successful organization. They are the only champion. Well, especially I've ever since seen we've heard. Well, especially as we've heard, it's actually a pretty toxic organization, right? So yeah, so there's uh, you know, there's the that whole revelation. There's that. I've never seen another organization that won a championship and then outsmarted itself into like, you know what? We don't need to contend. We don't need to defend our title. We're gonna build for that. We're gonna take a gamble and make these moves and t- basically take our champion apart because we're we want to be like even better, like very like like not. Not three, not four, not five. They haven't won a series <laughs> since then. They've done nothing to de- a to series. Paraloo- they no, haven't they won, won a series. series since Sorry, then. no, they have not. No, they, they... Luca won one, didn't he? They lost both years. Oh, did they beat someone and then lose to the Clippers? I think they beat the Clippers. Let me see. I thought the Clippers they beat lost them twice. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. The Clippers beat them twice. They played. They played above their heads, but uh, yes. they missed three years in a row before Luca. Um, mm-hmm. And then they have not won a series since um, 2011. They they won. Uh, yeah, you're right. Wow, good. Yeah, I did not realize that. So they get all this. They get all this. Like <clears throat> they haven't won a series. They tore down their own champion. The when Dennis Smith went to them, all you heard was about the Mavs war room celebrating because the Knicks had taken Nilakina and passed on, you know, my God, Dennis Smith Jr. 
Then for the Porzingis trade, oh my God, the slander that came. Yeah. Immediately, like I know this is all—it's a Nick pod. There's nowhere else I can feel justified, like just quetching about this. When I heard that news today, a, a part of me is at peace. It's like if you ever had a breakup and it's really yeah. hard, and then you, you you know, like abstractly, one day it won't hurt you, but you are not there yet. The day was the day where, like, I feel completely at peace about all of that because I feel like history has vindicated. You may not feel like the Knicks stole the deal or even won the deal, but they definitely did not lose the deal. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, who did the Mavs end up getting from that? I mean, they basically ended up getting Spencer Dinwiddie. And what did we do with what they sent? Oh, no. They got Hardaway. Not, they got Hardaway, who's been a plus for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- that's unfair. But we got Dennis. So first of all, they never got any flack for the fact that we're getting killed because we traded a first for Cam Reddish, right? They used the eighth pick on Dennis Smith Jr. And they couldn't figure oh, out how to use him. Shit about it. They did not get shit about it for trading him for KP. We got clowned for that. Uh-huh. And then when he didn't turn into a star with us, we got clowned for that. Mm-hmm. And then we turned him into Derek Rose, right? From four KP. And you can say that the cap space, like some people will say, well, you can't count quickly because they didn't need that cap space to sign Marcus Morris. Fine. Um, but we, you can't take Derek Rose away from us from that. Um, they probably wouldn't have signed Randall. And, uh, you know, if he, we got last season and mm-hmm. I'm starting to, I don't know. Um, I'm, I, I'm starting to buy this recent Renaissance because it's more than just a one or two game thing. Now it's like six games where he's playing. Good. Yeah. And it's like, and it's actually feels more sustainable than last year because he's not even like, he's zero for three from three tonight. doesn't even matter. Right. Right. Um, because he's getting the line, he's he's making real. It's like real quick reads. It's not this kind of shit like last year. We would jump up and throw some crazy pass. It's just he's doing things that feel very sustainable right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm back to feeling like tentatively optimistic about him. Yeah, I mean, I I'm biased enough to say it's an absolute win, but it's certainly not something we should have been completely clowned for. And um, you know, like yeah, like think about all of those people, Howard Beck, right? Um, you know, the ringer, like both sides, even Nick's like, I, I like network a lot. I, I, you know, one of the things that really got me into like the Nick's blogosphere was him and Seth Rosenthal. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to say, but like, yeah, like he was kind of like that, like the mass media of people were playing a little bit into like the, the Nick's fan, you know, like, well, woe is us thing. And that, you know, that's, that's been kind of good for us. Having said that, um, <clears throat> I, I kind of. I could see this working out for both teams. Randall um, first... is currently on the floor, crouching in pain. Oh no! Uh, he just went in for a layup. Now, okay, he's he's. Let's see. I hope I didn't jinx him. <laughs> you literally just talked. Oh god! He stepped when he went up. He stepped on Curry's foot as he took off um, to drive. He's, I think I'm a little bit behind them. He's yelling at the refs, so maybe he's feeling better. Um, <laughs> he does not appear to be leaving the game. He is not leaving the game, so maybe that's good. Yeah, his leg would literally have to fall off for his coach. <laughs> Tibbs, yeah, Tibbs is going to ride Randall like Mike D'Antoni rode, rode Jeremy Lin, um, uh, like like a secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually kind of like that trade for both. I mean. I think that the Mavs definitely sold low 
Uh, I think they should have been able to get more for him. But his contract is a big negative. And I mean, that was always the big thing, right? People were like, you gave away your only good thing. Well, we also, if we gave, after what happened with Amari Stoudemire, if we gave $30 million a year to somebody with that kind of injury red flags, um, we didn't have we didn't have anything else. The Mavs, you can still argue that it wasn't a total loss for them, or like it wasn't a terrible move because when you have a superstar in place, you have the luxury to, to make take those kind of risks. We didn't, right? Um, but I like the trade for a. I think it's funny that like you know, the crypto guy Spencer Dinwiddie now plays for Cuban. <laughs> That's kind of funny, uh, and in like you know libertarian Texas or whatever, and then. Um, it's like Kyrie playing in Miami, right? Uh, and then you have, um, you have, uh, but I think KP could be a nice fit with Bradley Beal. Um, and they, maybe they can rest KP again this year. Uh, for what it's worth, his shooting has been horrendous, but his defense has come back. And that was actually, when he first was on the Knicks, that was the thing I was most excited with him about because he's a really good rim protector. Yeah, he was. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's, um, it could work out for both teams. And I think on the, on the Mavs side, jokes aside, they do well, – we'll see. We'll see what it means for – yeah, I guess this is a nice segue, but the Mavs now have another secondary ball handler with some size yep. um, who can run pick and roll and maybe spell Luka, but they kind of had one. So what happens to the other ball handler they had? Because one thing they did was give um, – <clears throat> was give um immediately after the trade they gave money to dorian finney smith they paid him and he's pretty important to what they do and um you know um it begs the question what's going to happen with jalen brunson yeah i was surprised so this i i the one thing i like for sure about the deal for dallas is that porzingis and Doncic, I just do not think we're ever going to ultimately. It, they seemed like they'd be this perfect pick and roll, you know, nightmare. It did not work that way. Um, so I like it for them getting off him because I think the only way Dallas could make significant upgrade to to their roster was to get rid of his contract. Like they could not do anything with him there. Now with basically his contract is broken into two smaller pieces in Dinwiddie and Breton's, like. I think it's easier to get off of <clears throat> enough of that money that they can do something that they want to. Maybe that's retaining Brunson. I think especially if I don't I don't know how long Hardaway has on his deal. They don't seem to me like they need Hardaway, Dinwiddie, and Brunson all making you know, probably I don't know what Brunson's gonna get, but like close to twenty. And the other two are also making I think Dinwiddie's twenty and um it's too much money. So on that level, I like it for Dallas. How long? I Beal is out for how long? Do we know? Uh, it's a season-ending thing. Season-ending. So okay, that's what I thought. So I don't know about Porzingis. Would like I? I suppose Kristaps Porzingis is unquestionable. This feels very much like an Isaiah trade to me. He's the he's definitely better than what they had at the position. Like he is. They don't have a big man like that. But, and I know different teams in different markets have different histories and different goals and agendas, but if you're going to pay Porzingis and Bradley Beal combined, it's probably, probably about $80 million a year. What is, this, what is the ceiling on that team? 
they're, they're both good players, but like, is Beal and Porzingis going to be better than Doncic and Porzingis were? Um, I think, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it, it depends on KP. So what I'll say is this, right? This year I did feel like it had improved because Porzingis was willing to buy into more of that <clears throat> off-ball role. I think, you know, you have people on TNT, like you, I think a good drinking game is every time Charles Barkley or Shaq tells KP, you need to get in the post or whatever. Um, and I think he also saw himself as a guy who wanted to create. I mean, they would lose and the offense was going through Luka. He didn't always handle it with the best attitude. I think that was part of the reason why um, Carlisle was let go. <clears throat> but this year, I believe from what I've seen, he's been doing more of the role man stuff. Um, you know, he's, you know, I think he's, you know, he's taking fewer of those, you know, his ISOs and all of that. Um, I think his defense has improved. Um, the real, the, the, the troubling thing with him is that he's shooting 28% from three. But I think it's the same thing as it was with Luca, right? If he's willing to buy into a role where you're going to space the floor, you're going to roll hard to the rim, you're going to be a rim protector. Um, occasionally, maybe you face up, right? But that's not really your game. You're going to be playing off of others. You're going to be moving with and without the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, he can fit pretty well. Uh, and that's, you know, and, and he, um, but I, I mean, the biggest thing is talent, right? Is, is health, right? Sorry, not talent. Um, so with Beal and Porzingis, that's a very talented duo. Um, they have a good center to pair with KP, actually, and Daniel Gafford, um, is who can kind of make up for some of his defensive deficiencies. Um, but it is $80 million. Um, I think they, they're probably betting, they would probably be betting if they do sign Beal that that gambling money is going to come in. Um, mm-hmm. But KP is also close to not being a bad contract, right? Um, I think he has what two, two years left. I think he has three because his his first year in Dallas. It feels so long ago now, right? I th- maybe okay. Wait a minute. Yeah, so he has this year and then two more after this year. He's a free agent in twenty twenty four. And he makes like sixty, like seventy the next two years. Yeah, <laughs> so it is a lot of money, but that's not our money. A, by us, I mean Washington Wizards fans. And B, you should have gambling money. And then, yeah, I mean, it's really if Beal gets that supermax, but Beal is still only twenty nine, right? <clears throat> um, so I, I don't think this is, um, I, I don't think that's backbreaking. Uh, and I mean, that's a team that really hasn't been able to sign anyone in free agency. That's true. Uh, and and I don't know what other avenues there really were for them to acquire a whole lot more talent. And and I mean they've they've built a nice little supporting cast, right? Um they've built you know Kuzma's had a little bit of a resurgence there. Mm-hmm. Uh they traded Montrez Harrell, uh, which is another trade we can talk about. But you know, Daniel Gafford looks good. They have a good they have some nice bigs who could add some physicality that Kippy doesn't have. So he actually can play the four there and, and be okay. Um but now they get they get more rim protection, you know, if he's healthy they get some floor spacing for Beal. Um, you know, they, I think they can. This can. This could be the move that next year maybe gets them to a four or five seed. Uh, and then they're in a big market, and maybe from there, and they have they're in a big market, and they have a name brand superstar. Um, you know, so maybe they can start to to build something off of that. Uh, and then you you think about, and then in two years, if if Beal is still at a high level, but they don't want to sign KP for thirty million again, they can reduce his contract. They can trade him before then. 
Um, but they, I, I don't think that KP, I think that deal ultimately is good for them. Um, but I am, I am very curious about what the Mavs are going to do with Jalen Brunson because they definitely didn't want to trade him. And Cuban has said that he wants to pay whatever it'll take to keep him. <clears throat> but I have a feeling Leon Rose is going to test that out. Uh, I think he would have liked to test that out with straight cap space instead of needing to rely on a sign and trade. But as we saw with the Nets, like we have, we have the Dallas pick, we have Reddish and a couple of other young guys. If they really want to bring Brunson here, they can create that cap space and offer him. If they offer him four for a hundred, do this, the Cavs match that? Uh, sorry, the Cavs, the Mavs match that. Um, Cuban has said we'll be in salary cap hell for a year, but after that, it'll clear up. Maybe, but uh, I think uh, Leon Rose is going to force him to put his money where his mouth is, and that's a you know that's an interesting part for that. Um, you know, I don't know if there's a lot of precedent for this, and Cuban certainly doesn't seem like a cheap owner, but um, yeah, definitely curious on your thoughts on that. I'm interested in how this move. You know, we talk about the easy, the most concrete thing we can talk about is about you know money and tangible things, but. I wonder, um, I've been reading a lot of Chris Herring's book, Blood in the Garden, and um, there's always so much going on behind the scenes that we don't know about that affects things that happen like on the court, people's playing time, um, all that kind of jazz. So I'm wondering, you know, if you're trading for Dinwiddie, I'm assuming you're going to play him. Um, If I'm Brunson... I think there's less so for Luca, but I wondered it earlier for Luca too. Like from what from your time in Dallas, for how you've seen this playing out. Now Carlisle's gone, and now Porzingis is gone. Lucas has not always seemed like thrilled with things going on there. Am I convinced if I'm Jalen Brunson that like I wanna stay there? Especially when they just brought in someone else who does what I do. When I could go to New York, not just with the promise of We'll pay you, you know, this much money, but he's going to jump into the starting lineup. Like he's he's there. Yeah, um, <clears throat> there is there is a few things there. Um, so yeah, I mean, my take has always been, whenever people are like, you know, he is an unrestricted free agent, and um, you know, if he wants to leave, there's not anything the Mavs can do; they can't match, right? But I was my take was always. Why would why would he want to leave? And you know, um, sorry, that was a really fun sequence. I don't know if you just watched, but Mitch just grabbed two offensive rebounds off open threes, and then Grimes just swished a dagger. Oh, nice! But but um, uh, Mitch has been killing it. Nice. Um, the the point is, like, my take was, why would you want to leave a guy who looks like what? It's a matter of time before Luka Doncic wins an MVP, right? Why would you want to leave that organization for? You know, Randall did get booed this year, right? There has been a fair amount of talk about, like, you come to New York and you're like, I'm going to be the savior. It's It can be an unenviable position. Mm-hmm. And Brunson is the son of a former Nick. All of that, why would he want to come? Now, he has a great relationship with Leon Rose. He's from New York. But those are all um, those are all considerations. These are the kinds of things that, yeah, to your point, maybe that starts to push him out the door. Because now they don't have... They don't really have the center play, I think, to 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 make a push this year. Um, Kleber isn't that guy. Um, they are going to be in luxury tax hell, and it's unclear how they're going to add more talent. And they're not good enough to contend now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that gets back to if we want to make a push, 
you know, people can say it's, I've seen a lot of people because Mitch hasn't, or not Mitch, Randall's been playing well for a while now. And I've seen a lot of people say too little, too late. Maybe not, right? I mean, if, if Brunson, these guys watch. And if you see that Randall quietly has become maybe the kind of guy you can pair with, uh, and you see the young guys, RJ and Mitch, like if you see feel like this is a team whose best days are ahead of them, and you look at Dallas and he looks at them as like, I don't know how they get better unless Luka becomes literally Michael Jordan, then, you know, you can see it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned there are definitely other deals uh, that went on. I liked um, what the Celtics did. Um, they sent away Dennis Schroeder to bring back Daniel Tice. And then they also acquired um, Derek White from the Spurs for Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, and I think a pick. Um, Boston has been playing better. I don't know. My, my Celtic fan friends are not thrilled at all about their upside. Um, they don't think that that they have enough to really go very far. But um, I like Tice for them. Um, I think he helps. I think with Tice and Robert Williams, like you have different options at center, um, but also like some quality there. I think Tice is certainly an upgrade from Enos Freedom. And I also, um, I think Derek White is a, I mean, he gives them a nice defensive option. If you can play down the stretch of some games with Smart and, um, you know, and Walker leading your defensive attack, that's, you know, that's not bad. And they didn't. They didn't really give up. I didn't think they gave up anything of of real consequence. Yeah, uh, I think they've quietly made some good moves. Um, Shooter was a little bit redundant. Uh, they they have a they have a good closing lineup. So it's um, you know I think Tice is they have this familiarity there. Um, you know, um, I think that they didn't give up Marcus Smart is is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I mean Derek White was a stunner. Um, I guess them giving yeah. up a 2027 20, swap who knows how good they're going to be then so there's like some variance maybe san antonio liked that um but the flip side of it is um <laughs> wow steph just missed the layup that, that that's that's huge the flip side of that is um they um you know they get acquired a huge talent upgrade that it didn't look like they were going to get uh, again, if you think Brooklyn's going to be in the play, and this is another team that improved that's ahead of them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think they're going to be, um, they're going to be tough. I mean, uh, and, and I think that Derek White is a nice compliment to Smart because Smart isn't really a guy. He, again, he's not a connective passer. Um, you know, he's not, he's not really a true point guard, but he's like not a, like he's kind of a combo guard and White kind of smooths out some of his game gives them another shooter. I mean, that's going to be hell on defense. Mm-hmm. Smart and Derek White. Um, those and are two of the Tatum best. And Brown. You got Robert Williams. Tatum's a pretty good defender himself. Um, like Tatum's, Tatum's the worst defender in their starting lineup. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> crazy. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we cloud, like, yeah. I mean, they turned Kemba Walker into that and Fournier into that um so it's tough to um it's tough to criticize them is that a title contender yet it's getting there i mean maybe that's the point guard they needed you know mm-hmm. um i mean i with the way they play defense and and i mean because there's been a lot of continuity and they switch a lot and all of that yep. um like they're, they're gonna be able to switch one to five yeah. and be just hell 
Uh, and because we've we've gone through that, we remember those series. Um, they've they've been like that forever. Like we've played, and they're just a pain in the ass to play. And they have a closer in Jason Tatum. Yeah, they they have a, a great number two option in Jalen Brown. Um, I mean that that's exciting times for them. Um, I mean, do you think? Um, you know, what? Where do you think they go from there? Do you think they end up consolidating to get another star, or do you think they kind of let it roll and, and use that balance? I think they're going to let it roll, um, and I think they should. I think when you have when you have a team that can play that level defense and has two like elite, uh, like I don't. I consider Brown, I think at this point, good enough to call him like an elite wing, like and a, and a guy who can, who can, he's a scorer, like he's a great scorer. He's not Tatum, but he's an excellent scorer. You can play defense like them. You have um, a center who can do the things that Williams can do, and you have Tatum and Brown. Like they are at the moment, at least in the category of you know, the famous team that you don't want to play in the playoffs. Yeah. And then, um, you know, who knows where it goes from there? I, I don't know. I don't know enough about their situation to know, like, their cap future or, or their assets or anything. But given how the Celtics started the season and have kind of been in a, a season and a half malaise, really, um, I think they've done a really nice job of putting together – a really nice roster, like one through one through whatever you need in the playoffs. I, I, I would not want to play them. You know, I, I think they really solidified their likelihood to advance from the play in. And if the Celtics are like seven and the bulls are two, like, I don't think Chicago is going to enjoy that series. No. Um, I mean, the Celtics are kind of built to beat the bulls, right? The bulls have a team of um, the, the bulls like to go small. And they, you can't switch against them, right? That's how they killed the Knicks because in pick and rolls, they would pop with Vooch and you really don't want Mitch to have to worry about Levine on the drive and have to recover to Vooch, right? Mm -hmm. If you switch, Mitch can't guard Levine and you can't really switch a guard on, but I'm not saying you want to switch Derek White onto to Vooch, but that's an option. Williams is the kind of defender who can, you know, you probably don't want to switch him onto Levine either. Um, but they have the wings to cause problems for DeRozan. Um, you know, they play defense as a team. And on the other hand, um, you know, they have, they have like, everyone can score in that starting lineup. Even Williams is a pretty solid offensive player, too. So, um, you know, th- there's really nowhere. Levine and DeRozan both have improved. Their, ah, Levine has. DeRozan, I still haven't been impressed with this defense. So there's nowhere to hide them on defense. Um, that That is a team... Uh, and then now you have a pick and roll player in Derek White who can come make put Vooch in some tough situations. Um, I mean, I think that's going to when you talk about Lonzo and Caruso versus Smart and Derek White, that's going to look like some old '90s guards battles. <laughs> They're just going to beat the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that would actually be a really fun series um, of two teams like that. I don't really like, but um, yeah, that's one where I always feel like you can't lose. Yeah, right. Uh, somebody, like someone some... that you hate is going to suffer, so it's fine. But I mean, I think with the Celtics, they have it. They have the plan in place, right? They've now done. Um, they have, they have one wing with true superstar talent or ability. Another one who, um, another one who is 
who might be able to get to that, but certainly at least looks like he can be a number two. Yep. Um, and then you have another guy who... Um, and then you now have a, a center, right? You have a, a cornerstone center. And then you have two veteran role players in the backcourt. Uh, it's really... The, the the thing that vaults them is Tatum taking another step into becoming a star and like reaching that Embiid level. Because that's the difference. If they played the Sixers, why would I take the Sixers? Because... Like they have two players who are better than Tatum, but Tatum has a talent to be on that level. Yeah, he does. The question is, if he gets there, that's really all it is. And I would like to. That would be cool to see. It would also be cool to see like Tatum get there and Brown get there, and then the Celtics kind of keep this cool, this kind of cool and well balanced core around them, as opposed to them just becoming another super team, right? Like if you see next year they trade, you know, White and Robert Williams for like. Bradley Beal or something that just would be less fun, you know. Yeah. Um, especially when I since that's everyone's goal. Like that that was kind of the shitty thing about the Nets, right? Um, like I think they were more fun last year when it was just. Um, I, I think they were more fun when it was just Kyrie and KD, and then, you know, they had the Joe Harris's of the world, they had Claxton and all of that. Like they had like role player guys to fit around them instead yeah. of just going all in. And I'm not saying I I'm not saying the front office even made a mistake. Cause I get. The idea, there's a reason why you build those super teams. But, um, you know, um, it's funny also because part of the reason they made that trade was obviously to keep Harden away from their biggest rival. So, um, you know, now that they were able to do it, uh, now, now you know, they, they wanted to keep Harden away from the Sixers. Yeah. And that didn't work out, right? So. Exactly. So I really did, initially, I think I felt like you, when I first saw the, Sacramento trading Halliburton to the Pacers. Like I literally, when I saw the news, my partner, like from downstairs called up concerned because um, I was just laughing. I couldn't stop laughing. And like, like, like I had really lost my mind. I could not believe Sacramento doing what seemed like the most Sacramento thing. My thinking evolved a bit more, but like my initial thought was like, what the hell are they doing? Love it for Indiana, unquestionably. And another move today that the Pacers made that I think is interesting and probably good for both teams, um, Torrey Craig has been sent from Indiana to Phoenix, and this, the Pacers get back um, a nice young talent in Jalen Smith. I really like what Indiana is doing. Um, you know, they, they're not a team that ever, like, rebuilds, and I don't know how long they're going to, they're going to, like, be in whatever state they're in now, but I really like moves that they've made. Like, really, really, really like moves that they've made. Yeah, I mean, they don't rebuild because I they they've always like anytime they had they had their own superstar drama, and then they turned them into Sabonis and um oh, and, and Victor Oladipo. Oladipo. Yeah, yeah, right. And then they had drama with him, and that didn't turn out. I think as ideally as they would have liked. They probably wish they sold a little bit earlier and higher. Mm-hmm. Um. But they they they're they're always been a savvy front office, um, going back to the nineties, right? Um, so I I don't think um, oh we won wow. Um, I don't want to say anything, but that was Clay, Clay Thompson got a good look, faded yeah, away yeah. over Fournier right at the buzzer, and that shit looked. He had a clear look from about thirteen fifteen feet away and just missed it. Just yeah. 
Uh, I mean, you can't decent defense by Fournier. I'm very happy. I really was. I if they had lost, if I thought this is going to overtime, the Knicks, if you whatever, they missed a couple free throws late, and yeah, if they had lost this game in overtime, like deja vu. Yeah, <laughs> so a very relieving one sixteen one fourteen next win. Um, sorry, what was I talking about? Uh, Indiana. Yeah, so um, so what are they doing now, right? Um, so another player, by the way, the Knicks point guard search, Brogdon, it's, reports have said that he's going to be available. I like him. Um, so I think he'd be a nice fit with the Knicks. Uh, his shooting has been a little bit erratic of late. I don't think he's really a great pull-up shooter, but he can shoot. He's not a floor spacing problem, and he can get to the rim. Mm-hmm. A solid defender, all of that. But for what the Pacers are doing, yeah, like, I like that Kings trade for both teams. At first, I also had that same temptation. Um, but A, I think what pulled me back a little bit was um, two of my favorite, you know, sports bloggers, you know, Twitter NBA personalities are Caitlin Cooper and Mark Schindler. Yeah. And I respect their opinion a lot. They were like, Sabonis is very underrated. People, I think there's this caricature of him maybe as like, as like a glorified Mason Plumley, that's probably overstating things. <laughs> but no, I, I'm saying that's a caricature, right? Yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. that's how people were talking about him. Like, who's going to defend for them? He can't shoot. Whereas, like, he, I mean, he he will take them once in a while. He is not a complete non-shooter, but he's a terrific. He is really good passer, right? He's not Nikola Jokic, but he's a tier below that. He's up there, yeah. Yeah, he's a really good passer. Like like better than a guy like Randall, right? Yes. So like like he yes. can do it from a standstill. Um, like he can handle the ball. He's very fast. He th- and that's the thing, right? When you talk about as soon as a center isn't a rim protector, we kind of assume he must be a poor defender, right? Because not having a rim protector right. is kind of tough. But Vucevic has proved that if you're if you're strong and you're in the right place, um, Jokic and you're smart, like that. you could, yeah, like he's like that, right? Like just because you're not a, you're not Mitchell Robinson doesn't mean you can't be a solid defender. Um, and, and then, and then the, the other thing is that you pair him with, with De'Aaron Fox, um, who has struggled. And part of the reason he struggled is because, um, you know, they haven't had the kind of, like Rashawn Holmes is a good big, um, but they haven't had a, a partner for Fox who can kind of augment his passing, who can play as a connector with him, who can, you know, we've always blamed Fox for not being great off ball, but maybe playing like a big with a big like Sabonis can activate that, right? Uh, and, and, and it's, you know, building a winning culture and all of that. And then it's such a fascinating conversation, right? Because Tyrese Halliburton is far ahead of his age, right? He's averaging 14 and 7. His efficiency is really absurd for a young player. Um, like he's pull-up shooting. Um, but you know, he is he, like for him to get to Sabonis, like Sabonis is a top 25 player, um, at 25 and he's under a team friendly contract for two years. Mm-hmm. Is Halliburton going to be that good when he's 25? He has a chance to be, I don't want to understate that at all. And I think that's why I like this move for Indiana. Uh, but now the Kings, the Kings all of a sudden, um, have, um, you know, they now all of a sudden they have they've paired a twenty three year old point guard with a ton of talent um, next to an all star big who's only twenty five. They have a backup point guard who's shown out well in Davion Mitchell. They acquired Dante DiVincenzo, and and this is a team that doesn't play a lick of defense still. Um, and but they're fun. They they they, they have an identity, and. Excuse me. They have the they have they have an identity in place for the first time in a long time. 
uh, and that's important. And um, and and this wasn't like I don't think like there are times when someone is like you traded for a name. And I think the most important takeaway people should have is that Sabonis is not a name. He's actually an underrated player. He's mm-hmm. he's a pretty good player. And then on the flip side in Indiana, the fact is they do have Sabonis for two more years. But I think their thing is they have money tied up in two bigs who don't who who aren't oil and vinegar. I think that's a common notion. But they probably do not augment their games as well as you yeah. would like. Yeah. Um, like Miles, you don't want Miles Turner to be Steve Novak. That's the thing. Like <laughs> that's what kind of worries me about the Randall Turner pairing that everyone has wanted. It's like I don't really want Turner hanging out out there, right? He's probably not only is he good at rolling, but he actually he can do things with the ball in his hands. He's a talented player, and I think with Indy, I think they knew they had to trade one of them to kind of redistribute their their assets, and it was just who could fetch more value. And I think Turner's injury kind of sealed the deal. Mm-hmm. Um. So now they they added so that was the perfect trade, right? If you're going to trade a guy who's really good, you want to basically you want to get a younger guy, right? You don't want to sell them for pieces because that's usually worse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to trade a dollar for four quarters. So instead, you trade it for a newer dollar, right? Or, or you trade it for a different asset that maybe has a similar worth but isn't as mature, whatever. Um, so you trade him for Caliburton, who has the potential to be as good as Sabonis, is on a team friendly contract. Uh, plays a different possession from Turner, so he he fits that that well. And now they're I mean they're just gonna be fun, right? Because they have Brogdon, Duarte, Halliburton, who all uh, so two of them are very good on ball defenders, and Halliburton is not, but he's a very good off ball defender who generates a lot of steals. Um, they just acquired they acquired, and then you add Jalen Smith, who had a good stretch this year. You know, he he is the kind of guy you would put next to Turner because he blocks shots and he can shoot threes, right? Mm-hmm. So he can allow Turner to do more things than he was. They have the potential to be a really fun team. Um, so I think that was a trade that got the Kings got clowned. And the Kings partially got clowned like the Knicks always do because that's their rep, right? right but right. it would be interesting after, you know, so you can say what you want about how disappointing this year has been for the Knicks, but we're not a laughing stock anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it'd be nice to see the Kings kind of make that same leap. Also, I mean, to Sacramento's credit in that deal, they also got Exnick. Always loved Justin Holiday, um, who's a nice player. Um, he's a nice addition. Like he that makes them a better team having him just in their depth chart. Um, yeah, and they also got Dante DiVincenzo, which is again exactly yeah. the kind of move they should be making too. By low, his shooting has been off this year, but um, you know, young player, I think. Bucks fans really didn't want to lose them, but you know they're again. This is these are the kinds of trades that you see good teams make. Is where a team that has youth that needs to trade it for win now mm-hmm. trades it to a team that might have some value that they can't use now. Right, yeah. both teams win, and um, and the Kings are the Kings are, and and DiVincenzo gives them an un, you know he helps shore up their perimeter defense a little bit, right? So yeah, he does, and he was he was injured for a while, so. Um, they may see him healthier, if not this season, certainly down the road. I liked what they did. And like you said, with the Pacers also, um, <clears throat> they just seem like a trustworthy organization that even if they do decide to take this kind of direction, they, they seem to do it well. Um, last trade that I want to talk about for myself anyway, that I liked a lot, um, one aspect of it, there was a four-way deal in which Milwaukee ended up with Serge Ibaka and I don't think Serge Ibaka at this point is quite at the level of P.J. Tucker, but the Bucks, um, really Tucker was valuable for them last year, even 
with the series Durant had against them, um, just having a guy like that who can um, play good defense in the perimeter, it can be a tough guy in the post, hit some huge threes for them in the finals. He's a good player. They lost him. Um, Ibaka's not quite all those things, but I think they don't need him to be giving them what P.J. Tucker did, but he gives them the ability to have a veteran that you know what you can get from him and you know that he can give you some defense, he can give you some room protection. He can spot up um, from some distance. I really liked that for the Bucks. It's just a little, you know, it's a little pickup, but the kind of thing that could make the difference in one big game in a series, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think if they have that mold of player, they have done well with. Um, if you look at the power forwards that have played for the Bucks, uh, there's that Giannis guy, but um, it's very. I, I would imagine they'll use Ibaka a lot, like Bobby Portis. And if Knicks fans remember who Bobby Portis was on defense on the Knicks, mm-hmm. he tried. I, I think that um, that's one thing you could always say about Bobby Portis. His effort was never questioned on the Knicks. I thought his decision making was at times. Ultimately, he wasn't the best fit. Um, I personally was not a fan of how often he posted up, but he tried really hard. Milwaukee turned him last; like he was a big part of their finals run. Very big. Um, and you can see how they they have they've developed his on ball defense well on the perimeter, and he moves like he's never going to be a rim protector, and he can't really jump off the ground, but he's mobile, and they've taken advantage of that. And Ibaka, uh, Ibaka, you know, is, is at the end of his career, but. Um, with his length and his instincts, they can get that kind of production out of him. Uh, and that allows them to kind of, and it allows them to move Giannis around to be creative with how they use him. Uh, you know, when you can switch those guys in the perimeter, you can keep Giannis in the paint or as a free safety to just kind of wreak havoc and like be help defender as opposed to having to actually, because like when you use Giannis to switch out onto guys and guard one-on-one, you lose that help defender, right? Um, so it, it's, it's like, you know, it's like when you, if you have a lockdown corner, who's also great safety and you add more corner help, you can kind of, you can move them around more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that, that whole trade, I think Trey Lyles is a good, I, I do like what Sacramento is doing. Trey Lyles is a good fit for them. Um, he's like, he's actually the kind of big you'd want next to Sabonis, right? He's a solid defender and he can shoot. Um, and then uh, the Clippers, I think, yeah, yeah, they get Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale. They're really playing for next year at this point. And then Detroit, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, have you watched much of Marvin Bagley III? Because he is um, he is Kevin Knox's draft class. So I think they'll have to make a decision at the end of this year on whether to pick him, pick up his option. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it is kind of in the same vein as that Moutier trade. For us, right, where you you pick up a former high pick mm-hmm. um, to see what you can see what you get. Uh, I'm not saying Marvin Bagley won't outperform that, um, but he is in Troy Weaver's mold, right? Weaver likes big, long, you know, athletic guys, um, and those are the kinds of guys he's had success developing in Oklahoma City. Um, I mean, I don't. I'm, do you think Bagley is salvageable? Uh, I don't know if you watched a ton of him, but that's an interesting part of the deal too. I don't, what I find really interesting about it is that um, the guy that Bagley, I don't know much about Bagley. I like him because I feel like he's still very young and um, he can do some things as on the, on the NBA level, like his, but what I found interesting about it is that 
the guy he reminds me of a lot is for some reason maybe they're both lefty, Julia Local Four, who I think could do things, but like Julia Local Four, if you if you box number wise, if you watched him once he was um when he was out of Boston, he had a couple of good runs with a couple of teams where Julia Local Four would start to get playing time and like would sometimes put up pretty good you know, 16 points on efficient shooting and like he would get 10 rebounds, but he's, he's not in the league anymore. And my assumption is that his problems eventually did not outweigh the things that he could do. Enos freedom is a lot like that too. If you look at it as just strictly like, I can't take that serious, man. I know. I know. Every time, like I want to say cancer. Um, but, um, Sorry, yeah, you're saying Enos Freedom is in the same mold as you know uh, Okafor and, and yeah, and Begley. So and, and Begley obviously more offensively talented than than Freedom is. Um, I like it for Detroit. They actually were the team that had Okafor last season, so maybe they had a prototype in mind. You know, for a young rebuilding team, Okafor didn't really fit the bill for them. Maybe they think there's something with Bagley worthwhile. I if I, if I were the Pistons. It's not a move that it would elate me, but like I'd be happy about it. Like you've you've brought in something, you've played a, a small risk that could be a, a good reward, and a lot of players, you know, who struggle with their first team, they get traded. Like things come into a different perspective, and now suddenly the player takes off and succeeds. I like it for for Detroit a lot. Uh, I mean, a lot is putting it strongly, but I like it for Detroit. Whether he makes it, whether he becomes. Anything, I think he can. I really think he can. I, I don't watch Sacramento like a ton, but when I've seen him, you know what? Scratch all that. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> that's that. That's I think most of most of us feel that way. Yeah, I mean, I think Sacramento used him a lot, like spacing in the corner, um, and he's he he should be used in like. Um, it's not to say that it's often like when you think about like using someone as a role man, right? You're like, well, he can do other things. That's what's exciting about him. Sure. But let him learn that first. And this is kind of what the, the it's interesting to compare Bagley to um, Bagley to Jonathan Kuminga, um, who, mm. who played tonight against um, the Knicks, had a big you know, goaltending call that, that we were fortunate. Uh, by the way, we were on the, I wouldn't say lucky or unfair end of some calls but this was a game where a lot of times the calls that go against us i thought we were <laughs> i, was I less thought it was a goal 10 but i thought the officials were going to overrule it yeah I, it definitely looked like goal 10 um but but bagley they've used them as a, they've done the opposite of what the warriors have done right they've used them as a wing they've had him spacing they've played him with another big they haven't used them as a role man um, and it's tough because he's he's power forward size, but but his skill is like a center, and he's like got crazy hops. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he fits next to a guy like Jeremy Grant, who is a little bit in the same mold. Maybe could be a little bit of a mentor. Grant was also just like a freak athlete out of college, who developed as a small ball five, and then as his shooting came around and he put in the work, um, you know, he became um, he became more than that. Um, and I think Bagley could be, I don't think he's ever like he, it's the things with him is like, it's, I don't, I don't know about the Okafor or Cantor comps. It's like, 
does he have um, center is a mentally very taxing position. Uh, I think it's very underrated from, because it's, it's tough to make those reads. So can he get to that level on defense? Because his block numbers have never been elite, but he has the ability to block shots. If that part clicks for him, if he can learn to, to be a force on defense, if he can learn to be a good finisher, um, if he can improve his passing a little bit, there's still like the physical talent is there. Um, just Sacramento kind of used him incorrectly. And and I think he's going to like playing for Troy Weaver is probably the best place he could be at because like he's made a living. He, he's the guy who developed Jeremy Grant in, in Oklahoma city. Right. And many others developed Ibaka. Right. Um, so, you know, will Bagley ever be an elite shot blocker? No, but he has the capability to be like a switchy guy on defense who can play like Grant. Right. Um, will he ever be a high volume three point shooter? No, but he can with reps, like he shot 34% from three last year on two and a half attempts per game. Uh, like he can be the guy who can hit the open one, like at least like maybe two, like, like Julius a few years ago in new Orleans, mm-hmm. um, maybe a guy who can make simple reads and pick and roll and then a, attack like closeouts. You know, he could be, it could be the kind of person, you know, if Detroit can sign him to a, a fair extension, um, you know, you know, something like, you know, two for 20 or something, um, you know, that, that could be something you look back on in a few years and, and he's had injuries, you know, like there's been times, you know, he hasn't had the, the fairest of circumstances. These are the kinds of bets you make. Um, and I think, um, I think what I'll say, the last thing I'll say about all this is there, there were very few moves, if any, where I was like, I have no idea what this team is doing. A lot of people said that about the Kings, like, what are the Kings doing if they're trading Halliburton? And I think, you know, that was, and then now you realize what they are. Um, you know, this four-team trade, the worst team that's a lottery team added young talent um, and sent out, you know, guys who are, uh, you know, more vets or, you know, they, they they reloaded on young talent. The title contender in that trade got a guy who can help them win now. Um, and then the the Clippers got salary relief, right? And and they added Hood and, and Semi Ojale. Ojale could end up being a, an interesting piece for them next year when they're full at full strength. So I think most of the teams around the trade deadline did what they needed to do. And there are very few, I think, where I was like, that team got screwed. Not even the Nets trade, right? Like I think no, considering no. the lack of levers they had, they did reasonably well. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it's just weird in like such a zero sum league. And especially with how everything gets exaggerated on Twitter to how often we've seen, like, actually, I can see that for both deals, but um, I, I'd say I've been seeing that pretty often. With the exception of Portland, I'm I'm not really a fan of what they're doing. But mm-hmm. I don't think their fans are either. Um, I, actually, sorry, I, I know we're over time. So um, what did you think of the whole, yeah, what they're doing and then New Orleans too with the CJ trade? I think what Portland's doing is disgusting because I think that they're – they're in a market, they're in, in one of the more loyal markets in the league, a fan base that clearly is not there for the dominant reason of winning a title. Like, not every market is driven by that. They're very well supported, um, and they've been really good a lot of years. But it's it's not like when Portland struggles a bit, like the fans abandon them. They don't. Um, so Jody Allen is, is, there's a lot of rumors that she wants to sell the team um, Jody Allen is the widow of Paul Allen, who was, I think, until Steve Ballmer, like the richest owner in the league. They traded Norman Powell and Robert Covington. They got back nothing. Like, they got back nothing of, of any real value. And 
It's to save money. The whole reason they made that deal was to save money. I think it's a slap in the face to the fans. Um, I thought it was a great trade for the Clippers. If they get George back this year, I think it makes them that much more versatile. Um, and even if they don't, if they get George and Kawhi back next year. Yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, for, for just this year alone with George, I think this takes them from first round exit to, okay, like you might not want to play them. And the next year they could be really, really interesting. The McCollum deal, um, I like it for the Pelicans. Um, I don't know. He's only got a couple years left. I like it for the Pelicans. Um, I don't know how much of a difference it makes, like in their ultimate fortune. Like they've they've been playing better, and I think he definitely gives them a better shot of making the the play in. I can't be rational about the Pelicans because I bet money on them this year to, to hit the under. So huh. they keep winning and terrifying me. So I'm, I can't psychologically, I have to direct all my energy against them, but I do like the move for them. Like he's a good player. Um, he makes them a better team. Unquestionably. I would not have hated seeing CJ McCollum on the Knicks. Obviously j- just strictly in terms of like you were saying, like, like baller Twitter, like, just in terms of watching a player like that who can shoot well from deep, who can shoot well from everywhere. He's great in the mid-range, um, who will get you some rebounds, who will get you some assists. Like, I would have enjoyed watching a player like that, I think. So I think it's good for the Pelicans. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on Portland. I think it's not just owner cheapness and fairness. I think they want to try to make a splash in free agency. Uh I don't know who that ends up being. Um, Bradley Beal is the only real free agent that would make sense, unless they think they're going to get Harden. But is Bradley Beal from McCollum that much of an upgrade? Uh, like Beal and Lillard aren't winning a championship. Um, you know, ideally, if they could have added someone like Jeremy, like if they could have used Norm Powell to get Jeremy Grant, right, or used picks or something like that, that's the kind of player they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead they had a, like, I thought Nance was a good piece to add. They traded him. Yeah. Um, they get Josh Hart, but you know, Nurkic coming back. I, I really, I don't know how that team maximizes Dame at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're saying that in, in which case it would have made sense to say, we're just going to tear it all down. Uh, they have one player I really like in Anthony Simons. Yeah. Um, that's a guy like if the, if the Blazers really are being cheap, I would love to steal him from there because I think that guy's going to be a star point guard. Um, and th- that's one thing they're great at. They're developing, identifying and developing guards. Um, but if that was the case, right, if, if you really can't build a team around Dame, and at this, not, not to say Dame's a problematic player, I just don't know that the pieces are out there to really give them that right balance, like whether it's a star wing or uh, like cat or something like that, I, I don't see it. Um, then in that case, you burn the whole thing down, right? And in that case, then you need to get real picks for Norm Powell. Like, you need to get real long-term assets. You need to get, I think, more than you did for CJ. Instead of Josh Hart, I would have wanted more of their picks. Um, And I would have looked to trade Dame Lillard. Um, I would have, you know, a good, you know, if you are at the point where, you know, this era has gone, you know, uh, and you need to rebuild around Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum, you could do worse than a 25-year-old uh, 6'10 guard um, who has asked out and who is going to be traded. Um, and 
you know, I think that, you know, they could, I mean, I think that they could have gotten him for Dame or uh, like it wasn't, I don't think Maury knew that Harden was going to come available. I think he knew that someone better than the players he was being offered was going to come available, but mm-hmm. I think Portland could have brought Simmons there and then you rebuild and he's probably not the happiest of campers. Uh, but maybe you rebuild around him and CJ, right? They're just there, but it doesn't seem like they're they're doing the Oklahoma City thing. Like when Oklahoma City traded Paul George, they got a ton of picks. Uh, and I'm not saying CJ is Paul George, but that's the kind of you either need to lean into that mindset, or you need to um, you need to be putting yourself in a position to really get someone to pair with who's left to make that last ride. And I don't see who's out there for. Portland. I thought of them as a suitor for Randall. I think he would actually be a good fit there. But if they're not sending us, like, I would want Simons and picks at the, or I would want at least Simons. And I don't know if that makes sense for them because you're punting on your best young talent. Yeah. So I don't really see where they go from here unless they think they're going to sign Bradley Beal. And I don't think that team's winning a championship anyway. So I'm going to leave you tonight with this random prediction Sixers lose. In the Eastern Conference Finals, and this summer, they trade Tobias Harris, Maxi, and Tybul for Damian Lillard. Say that again. Tobias Harris, Maxi, and Tybul for Lillard. In the off season. Yep, I call it now. I'm calling it now. Ah, uh, um. Maury's there to win. He wants to win. You know, you want to finish if they don't the if they don't win the ring. I think if they don't win a ring, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. If they don't win, so you're saying if they don't win a ring, then Maury's there to win, and he's going to push all his chips in the table. I do because you're not counting on. Well, we know we've got five. Whatever Embiid's age is, it's not a normal like if Embiid's 27. It's not a normal, like, well, we know we have four or five years left with this guy. Like, you've got to win. You've got to try to win now. Yeah. Um, the problem is, Thibel, yes. Picks, yes. I maybe maybe you don't see the same thing I see in Tyrese Maxey, but a lot of there's a lot of Knicks Twitter that's like, man, we really passed on Tyrese Halliburton for Obi Toppin. Um, <laughs> that's how I feel about Tyrese Maxey. Um, <laughs> I don't even like Cole Anthony. I'm also a little bit like that, but and, and I mean, I I would have liked Tyrese Halliburton on this team. I'm not going to deny that. But man, I liked. I think Tyrese Maxey is the third best player. I wanted Maxey more than quickly. Yeah, I think most people did. I mean, he went before quickly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I, but I, I I actually I mean I got I started to like quickly a lot because I was watching Maxey during the college season. Mm-hmm. I think I've, I've always liked Kentucky guards. Weirdly, I don't really like Calipari that much, but. Uh, this year, I like Tai Tai Washington Jr. I remember watching Shea Gilgis Alexander before, like he didn't even start for the beginning of the season, and then I watched him like really. So I, they always play tough defense. They're crafty guys. They're physical. I, I like Kentucky guards, and I like both of them. Um, but man, I think like because he's he's shooting forty percent from three. He is a bulldog getting in the lane. He's a tenacious on-ball defender, although because of his size, he's probably not going to be... He's going to be a good defender more than like Marcus Smart, but he has potential there. Um, he is a ballsy shot maker. He's an underrated passer. He never. He doesn't really turn the ball over ever. 
Um, and I, there's so much room for him to grow. I think he he doesn't take a ton of threes, but I think he can up that volume. His form is good. Not the highest release, but it's higher than like Quickly's, so that'll help him get the ball up more. Uh, he has a good mid-range game. He's he's really good at finishing at the rim. Uh, I I would at this point is he better than Dame Lillard? No. Um, but you already have Harden. If you add Dame to him, um, you have star power. Like that's the thing, right? I'm you. People will say you're overthinking it. Like don't worry about fit. Like you now have Dame, Harden, and and beat on the same team. But man, I would try. I would. I would try to keep Maxi no matter what. And I. I think the way that they approach this deal, um, I think they would have. If if Brooklyn really twisted their arm, they would have given up the high ball. I don't think they're yeah, giving agreed. up. Agreed. Tyrese Maxi. Agreed. I mean, yeah, like, why would they give him up for Dame if they weren't going to give him up for Harden? I just think because if I'm – my thinking in this very imagined state in my head was that if I'm Portland, first of all, like, I have to ask for Maxi. Like, I can't headline a deal with um, whoever else I thought. Uh, like, I'm not headlining the deal with that. And the Sixers don't have great picks as far as I know of. Like, they don't have someone else's likely lottery pick. Like, I need something better, so I've got to ask for Maxi. Um, and basically, same position. Like, here, you want this proven point guard? Great. Give me your young one. Um, might seem weird to have Maxi and Simons, but then maybe they could turn Simons into something. I don't know. Um, for the Sixers, because my, my thinking, which I just realized is not fair to him, my first thinking was, like, if they lose, I wonder if Harden will play poorly because Harden has had some not great playoff moments. And then I thought, well, then bring in Lillard because now if Harden is your third option, like, that's a good role for him. Like. James Harden is your third option is is like elite. But I realize that like we haven't seen Harden really in a situation where he's clearly the number two. Um and like since his since he left OKC, he's never been in a situation where like he was definitely behind someone else in the pecking order, and especially a big man. Dwight wasn't, you know, on wasn't a, a two way player, a two way threat at all the way Embiid was, and the way that Embiid is. So maybe maybe Harden as a as a clear number two option, maybe this is the year where it's that much easier for him and he's able to have more success just by having, you know, that guy there. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing it does. So this goes back a long time, but uh, when they the year that the Raptors won the title and Kawhi hit the shot against um, to win in Game Seven against Philly. Um, Philly, when Embiid played in that series, Philly outscored Toronto by 87 points. <laughs> so think about how badly they lost when he was sitting down. That's been the story for them through every playoff series. Um, now, if they play their cards right, they have Maxi, Tobias Harris, Embiid, and, um, and Harden. Mm. So they, first of all, there should never be a time when both of Harden and Embiid are on the bench. But now you add Maxi to that too. I would probably try to, I would try to stagger that too because Maxi's also good when he gets to run the show a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, but you have um, like they just they're never they don't have they don't have to have these stretches where they go cold because Embiid is sitting, and and because at, at this point, I don't know that there's a team that can consistently win minutes when Embiid's out there. Maybe not even Milwaukee with Giannis. That's the only team in the yeah. East I think that's going yeah. to win minutes with Embiid out there. The question, the problem is he can't play more than 30, 33, and then they haven't had the bench. Um, and then now, if those minutes include James Harden, 
like if you're not going to do much better than a draw with James Harden or like win by a few points, I mean, they, they have to be the Eastern Conference favorite right now. And um, if they don't win it this year, does Dame get them over the top? It compromises their perimeter defense. Yes. Um, they can win now. They're, I mean, they're going to outgun everyone. But if they lose this year, I think it would be to Phoenix. And who, by the way, I think bringing back Tory Craig was pretty big for them. Yeah. I don't know if that's the move, but uh, that's interesting. That's a good prediction. I, I think uh, we'll have to watch out to see uh, see if it comes true. They they certainly still have the firepower to make some kind of a move. So. Yeah. Well, be very exciting. We've got about 28 to 30 games left for everybody. So we'll see who ends up where before the playoffs. Um, that is it for this year's Knicks trade deadline extravaganza pod for Stacey Patton. This is Matthew Miranda. We will see you again pretty soon. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.